Hebrews 1. Long ago, in many ways, and in, sorry, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he, ha he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you? Or again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, entered you with gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe you will roll them up, like a garment they will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will never, will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? I would like to bring the gospel to you this morning from Hebrews, especially in verses 1 through 4. That will serve as our text, as we call it, uh, this morning. So I would like to read again those verses, because we're going to dig more deeply into those verses. Hebrews 1, 1 through 4. <clears throat> Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs.
The uh, title for the message this morning is The Glory of These Last Days. And of course, that uh, refers to the fact that in the old days, God spoke through prophets. But God has spoken to us in a brilliant new way in these last days. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Song of Songs has, uh, has a, an expression in it that I have often uh, thought about. Uh, it says, Your lips, my bride, drip honey. Honey and milk are under your tongue. Your lips, my bride, drip honey. It's a, it's a beautiful image, really. The people who are in love, especially um, as they are deepening their relationship uh, when they first meet and in the first period of their relationship, then, then they do a lot of talking. Lovers love to talk. Or perhaps even more than talking, they love to listen when their relationship is growing in a, in a good way. They love to listen to each other because the thing about lovers is, is that they're always thinking the best about each other. And they're always building each other up and they're, they're trying to discover each other. And... Um, because they're in love, they're always thinking, they're discovering good things about each other. Through, through talking, lovers become better people. If you are in love, then you know it's true. If that's what love does in conversation, when two people speak together and they're, they love each other and they, they're talking, then they will always build each other up and they, they will delight in that conversation. So what could possibly be better than to listen to God speak to us because when he speaks to us, he speaks to us in love. And he's always building us up. We become better people because God speaks to us. And because we know that's true, one of the most beautiful images, a, a really delightful image in the Bible is the one described in the opening chapters of, of Genesis where we read about how God would come down from heaven in the cool of the day after Adam and Eve had spent the day working in the garden, trying to accomplish certain goals and, and advancing some of their purposes. And they're tired. They've worked all day. God would come in the cool of the evening and, and he, would, he would walk with Adam. And they would talk together. And I presume Eve as well. They would, they would walk and they would talk. And that's the, the pattern of living that they have accustomed to because this is the pattern which has which is building them up and making them better people it's a really beautiful image 
to hear God talk to us it is very sweet. From God's lips drip honey. And so it's, it's good news to learn that God loves to communicate. God wants to talk to us. And in the story of the Bible, God is speaking to us repeatedly in all kinds of ways. God is assuring us that the problems that we are working through and the, the problem our world is dealing with today, the pandemic, which affects us so deeply, God, God in his word, he wants to assure us, I've got these things. I'm, I'm taking care of these things. He wants to assure us. He wants to assure us that he has hope for us. He wants to assure us that his plans are on track and God is going to accomplish his good purpose in this world and for his people. In many and various ways, God, God spoke through the prophets of old in the Old Testament and we know from the Old Testament, God spoke in all kinds of ways. Sometimes God spoke in order to instruct his people. Sometimes he, he revealed himself through dreams or through events uh, that he was disciplining his people. He was warning his people. He also, in many and various ways, he was comforting his people. women who were called to serve God and they were pressed by God into the service of communicating his message. But in these last days, we read, God has spoken to us through a son. And that's very different. Because the son isn't a servant. He's not fulfilling a commission. It's not a job that he is fulfilling, he is speaking on behalf of his family. And he, when he speaks to us, he is, he is advancing the interest of his family, and he's defending his family's honor and reputation. And so when God speaks to us through his son, he's doing something greater than he had done formerly. Our passage, Hebrews 1, verse 1 through 4, it identifies this son, through whom God now speaks to us, with five very lovely expressions. And I want to pay attention to those expressions, one after the other, in turn, and see how glorious it is that God is now speaking to us through his son. He is first identified here as uh, the one who is appointed the heir of all things. In the middle of verse 2, he appointed the appointed heir of all things. If he is the son, you would expect that he would be described as the, um, the natural heir because he's a son. 
but he's called the appointed heir. <clears throat> he is he's described as the heir, not by right of origin, but as the heir by right of conquest, by right of uh, merit. Jesus became the appointed heir because he fought and overcame the enemy. He earned his heritage and he deserves to have it. But the enemy whom he fought was not some enemy out there, some outer enemy, but the enemy he fought was the enemy within. Jesus became the appointed heir because he ruled over his own will. And he overcame every inclination toward selfishness. He faced temptation throughout his ministry. In the wilderness, the devil was trying to get Jesus to do anything purely for himself. Turn these stones into bread. Feed yourself. Use your power in order to satisfy uh, an inner craving. Turn stones to bread. Or throw yourself down from this high point and you will receive a sign from God that he loves you. You can force God's hand. You can test God. In all kinds of ways, Satan was trying to get Jesus to do something selfish. And those impulses became very strong within him. Otherwise, it would have been irrelevant. But it is relevant because Jesus had to overcome the inclinations as he had to do all his life long. He was being drawn again and again to serve himself. Come down now from the cross and we will believe you, his taunters said to him as he hung on Golgotha. But he always consistently fought against, not that outward enemy, but the enemy inside. And he prevented that enemy from having any dominion over his mind or his will or his heart. He remained holy in all his relationships to God and just in all his relationships toward his neighbor. And it is this that Jesus did, which earned him the right to the inheritance God gave him. For by living in obedience to the law of God, constantly and never failing, he destroyed the enemy. And he overcame death. And he took the power, whatever power Satan had, he took it for himself. 
Because Jesus proved by his holy and just life that he could be trusted. He would never use his privilege or his position in order to serve his own selfish desires. He would only use his position and his powers and his privilege to serve his God and to serve his neighbor. And so he became the rightful heir by, by right of conquest. He became the rightful heir of the entire universe because he can be trusted to, to use his position and to take all that is put under his dominion, he could be trusted to make it a better place. A place where love and righteousness and prosperity and opportunity and life and hope where all these things will only grow more and more. And so God has spoken to us in these last days through the appointed heir, the one who has shown that he can be trusted. And so he was appointed to be heir of the entire universe. But he is secondly described as the one through whom also he, that is God, he is the one through whom also whom God created the world. And so Jesus is the heir of the entire universe, heaven and earth. He, he is the heir of all things, not just by right of conquest, but also by right of origin. He is the one who created the universe. The universe, however, what, everything that God created was created in a wonderful triune cooperation in magnificent harmony between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We have insight into that in the very opening verse of the, of the Bible where we read, and the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the deep. God the Father created by the power of the Holy Spirit. You have the Father and the Spirit already identified in the opening verse of the Bible. But the Son, God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, is intimately involved and cooperates in an essential way in the formation, the creation of the universe. It is identified here in Hebrews 1. It is identified very forcefully by the Apostle John because he opens his gospel by saying, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and without him was not anything made that was made. John wants us to understand at the beginning of his gospel that this person, Jesus, who has come to be our Savior, is deeply interested in the welfare of creation because he invested himself into it. He created it. He invested his power, his creative genius, his generosity, his hopes, and his plans into creation. And so it's no wonder he loves it. 
And he cares about it, and he's ready to do whatever is needed in order to restore it when it's falling apart. And this is the one who has come to speak to us. This is the one whom, through whom God wants to reveal himself in these last days. Through the heir of all things. Heir not only by right of conquest, but by right of origin. Further, he is described here as he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. When we, when I, anyways, when I think about the glory of Jesus, when I want to think about when does he radiate with the magnificence of his glory, then I tend to think of Revelation chapter 1, where the Apostle John is on the island of Patmos, and in a vision he sees his friend Jesus. I call him his friend because Remember at the Last Supper, it's John who lays beside Jesus, celebrating the, 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 the Passover, and it's his head that lays on Jesus' breast. And John and Jesus were very close during Jesus' earthly ministry. And in chapter 1 of the book of Revelation, John sees Jesus, but now he is no longer in his uh, human form so much, but he is radiating the glory of his divine majesty. And when John sees Jesus, he falls, he is so terrified by the glory of his majesty that he falls down as though dead. When I think of the glory of, of our Savior, then, then I tend to think of that. However, the, the, the biblical story reveals to us that the majesty of God's glory is revealed also, and perhaps even more so, in the appearance of the Son of God, or the formation of the Son of God, as a human being in the womb of the Virgin Mary, in his birth in Bethlehem and being laid in a manger, in a feed trough, in his being nourished at his mother's breast, in his accepting the, the surgery of circumcision in the sixth day, in his, the divinity of his majesty and glory of the Son of God is revealed when he accepted the nails that would pierce his hands and, and his feet. In those places, he radiates the glory of God because the glory of God is less about blinding light and terrifying power and more about this, God loves me. God loves you. There is the glory of God. Because, as the Apostle John says, God is love. That's, that's what God wants to be known as. It's the glory of his love that he wants to communicate 
to us and that he wants to, us to say, this is the majesty of God, that he loves me. And his appearance in the womb of the woman and his acceptance of the surgery of circumcision and his submission to the nails of the cross. These are things that the Son of God is willing to do if that's what love requires of him. And so the glory of God is shown to us, sure, in the appearance of Jesus to John in the vision at Patmos, but the glory of God is revealed to us as we have sung in hymn 23, as Paul reveals in, in Philippians 1, the glory of God is revealed to us in his willingness to accept whatever depths of humiliation he must descend to. Because he loves me, because he loves us. And if this is what love requires of him, this is what he will do. Because it is, as God says again and again in the Bible, by the prophets of old, but most brilliantly in his Son, God loves to lift up those who are, are broken down. And the lower that love drives you, the higher God is going to lift you up. He's going to exalt you. He has proven that in Jesus Christ. He descended to the lowest point imaginable. He, a righteous man, a just and holy man, he accepts the abandonment forever in hell as he hangs on the cross in those three hours of darkness. He accepts the hopeless, endless abandonment by the Father into that horrible place. He accepts the lowest humiliation imaginable. Nobody will ever go so low. And as a result, if that's, what, if that's the depths that love, that he will accept to do out of love, then the Father will lift him higher than any has ever reached before. And there is the glory of God. The glory of God is the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. Fourth, we read he upholds the universe by his word of power. Jesus, having been lifted up by the Father to, to absolute glory, he, he has become king, and therefore the, the universe, the, the heaven and the earth, everything that God created, all of it becomes his responsibility, and he, want, he needs now to take care of it. He is the great king, and he is, in fact, taking care of the universe. And therefore, everything that happens is part of his plan. The king is working out his plan, and he is 
doing it in the best possible way because our king is a wise king. And therefore, whatever happens is, is his decree. And we know that because it's his decree, he's doing something wonderful. COVID-19 has come upon the world by the decree of our king. Just like the sun rises and the sun sets by his decree, and the seasons change, and presidents come, and presidents go, because the king commands it. And he exercises his power throughout the universe for the sake of his people, for the sake of his church. Because in the church, the glory of his majesty, the glory of his love is most wonderfully proclaimed. Here the word goes out, the word of the king, commanding us, encouraging us, Assuring us. When we come to church, we hear our King speak to us, our Savior addressing us out of His love. He commands you to trust Him, to put all your hope in Him, and to obey him because just as he sustains the, the entire creation by his powerful word, he sustains each of us with his powerful word. I mentioned in church. And that, of course, becomes a, a very sensitive matter for us as we recognize that today is the last day that we get to gather together in, in person before a lockdown comes down upon a vast part of our province. The word of the king is spoken gloriously in the church and will continue to do so. We have the, the beautiful gift from the king of internet technology that we may worship online. But the word of the king is never limited. He is never at, 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 at the position where he says, how can I communicate to my people? He will speak to your heart. He will speak to his people, sustaining them with the word of the gospel. If ever there were a time for us to, to take up God's word and just read it, to renew our commitment to biblical reading and, and prayer, then it is this season for us to do so. For he sustains all things with his powerful word, his people above all things. And fifth, we are told, um, he sat down, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty 
on high. Christmas is the season when we celebrate the appearance of this glorious Savior. The cross represents his most horrible responsibility and duty. The empty tomb, it proclaims to us the fulfillment, the completion, and the proof that his work is done and his work is effective. And now he, sat, he sits down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Like a doctor who has finished surgery, the doctor may perform some tremendous sensitive surgery, spends a whole day, um, half a day, I don't know how long a doctor takes to do an open heart surgery or replace heart replacement surgery, but it can be done. It's very difficult, I imagine. And after he has done his work and the, the patient is stable, the patient moves into the recovery room and, and there the recovery begins and the doctor can sit down. His work is done. He, he waits now for the patient to recover and he can go home and become and re return to his work. So Jesus Christ, having finished his work, he can sit down until... By his word and spirit, we have so fulfilled his purpose that we can at last go home and be with him till eternity. It is him who speaks to us. This letter, the letter of Hebrews, <clears throat> was written to a Jewish community of Christians who were struggling with a very strange theological error. There were false teachers who were saying to them, and it was gaining a lot of adherence among the Jewish Christians, there were false teachers that were saying, Jesus Christ is not the one that we are looking for. Just like the rabbis of old have said, we are looking for the appearance of the great angel. He will come and he will deliver his people and lead them to glory. And that idea, not only did it have some antiquity behind it among Jewish people, it was an old idea, but it had a lot of, um, had a lot of things that uh, recommended it to them. It was attractive to a lot of Jews because the Jewish leaders had rejected Jesus. And many Jewish people, therefore, did not accept Jesus as Savior. Many did. But because many did not, there was a lot of thinking, people that thought, well, maybe Jesus really isn't the one that we're looking for. Maybe it is an angel that we're looking for. But to exalt an angel, if we are to be saved, as the Jewish teachers said, Michael or Gabriel would come and be the Savior. If we were to be saved by some angel, that would be setting that angel up 
for failure. God had already exalted his angels, and they failed. Lucifer is identified as an angel who is exalted to a position of tremendous power and responsibility and glory. But he could not be trusted. It proved that he could not be trusted. Just like Adam in paradise, he could not be trusted to be given such a high position. He used it for his own personal purposes. And he started a revolt in heaven against God. And there was war. Of all places, there was war in heaven. And if war on earth is a bloody business, what would it be like in heaven? To set an angel up for exaltation is to set them up for failure. It would never work. Because they are not heirs. They did not overcome by fighting the impulse to selfishness within. They're not heirs by conquest. They are not heirs by right. They don't love creation. Not the way the Creator does. None of the angels have the glory of the power of God, the glory and the majesty of passionate love that knows no obstacle in order to bring hope and life. Therefore, no angel could ever come to that position where he can sit down, sorry, sit down at the Father's right hand because they would never accomplish purification for sin. That is something that only God can do. Our condition is so desperate that the only one that could ever save us is God. And Jesus, Jesus is all this. Only Jesus, Son of God, can be trusted to receive this exaltation and remain holy and just. And now, because he has loved us, he continues to love us and he speaks to us. He will not fail us And we, when we listen to him, we will never fail to be delighted by his word. We are in a season of the celebration of the appearance of this Savior, this great moment when the transition pivots between the old times and the new. God's speaking to us through his Savior. Let us glory in his word.
The lockdown we are entering, it, it limits our opportunities for hearing the Word of God. But we have abundant opportunities still. Seize those opportunities. Delight in the Word that God speaks to you. Because it will always make you a better person. Because it will always deepen your relationship with God. Amen.